Welcome to Greater Alton Church. My name's Tim Gill, and it's good to have you with us this morning. If this is your first time here, we're really glad you're here. And it's just good to be back at church after a, a break from last week from the storm from Jupiter that never happened. So um, we're in a series of lessons called Seven. We're looking at the seven churches of Asia. And uh, I don't know what kind of church uh, you're looking for, what kind of church you expect, what kind of church you'd like. Everybody's got an idea. I'm sure if we all sat down and wrote it on a piece of paper, what would you like the church to be and what, what's your idea of the church? We'd all have several different ideas. And uh, two weeks ago, we looked at Ephesus and we talked a little bit about all the different styles of churches that are in America and uh, how churches, we, we can emphasize one thing for a while, then maybe swing another way for a while, then another way for a while. Last, like I say, two weeks ago, we looked at these six churches. And if you haven't heard that lesson, I'd like you to listen to it online if you would. Uh, not at all meaning that there was anything wrong with those six different churches that we described there uh, in the beginning of this lesson. It's just that churches do go through moments where they emphasize one thing or another. All of these are good things. But I have to admit, as, as we look at what's the church supposed to look like, we can um, begin to let our own preferences take over and maybe um, overrule the principles that God has in His Word. Uh, the idea of a church you can get from the book of Acts, but you can also get it from the epistles, the other letters written to the churches uh, like Corinth and Rome and uh, Thessalonica, Philippians, things of that nature. Uh, what I noticed was the seven churches in Revelation. And I thought well, that would be an interesting, a very challenging series to look at. And that is, what kind of church does God want? And do we get an idea? Because these churches had been around a while. And after being around a while, they had changed from what they were when they started. And that's what happens. Churches are going to change. You, you may want your church to stay the same. But folks, life moves forward and things change. I'll never forget Jack X some years ago. Some of you remember when he was here, he kept saying to us, things change. And they do. They change all the time. I remember as a young person sitting in the crowd thinking, man, when I become old and crusty, I hope I don't uh, be set in my ways and, and uh, I want the church to change, you know. And now I'm old and crusty and guess what? I don't want the church to change. I find myself dragging my feet and yet the Bible says churches will change. And we see that in the book of Revelation. We see these churches that initially started one way begin to wander away from some of the principles that God originally intended for them to have and to keep. Again, two weeks ago we looked at Ephesus, which was a church that simply got away from love that being the core uh, motive for what they were doing. They be, everything they did became habit it became routine or duty instead of out of love. And I was very challenged by this lesson. And I know many of you have talked to me and said you were very challenged as well. Uh, today I want to look at another church. It's the second church in this list of churches in, in Asia Minor called Smyrna. Uh, and it's a church whose faith is under fire. And before we get into that, I want to give you an idea that the, the book of Revelation was written to the seven churches of Asia Minor. You say, what's Asia Minor? Well, it's, it's in Asia, but it's on the east side, and it's a small Roman area. I say small, it's significant size, but not the whole continent of Asia. And in this area, there were seven churches that were there. Uh, in fact, the order in which you find them in the book of Revelation are in the order of the mailing route that the Romans delivered the mail. It starts in Ephesus and ends in Laodicea. And so these seven churches are here during the Roman Empire, and it's a very tough area to be a Christian in all seven churches. There's lots of emperor worship and lots of other deities in these cities. In many of these cities, there is a Jewish presence there that is hostile toward the Christian. And so John one of the apostles who wrote the book of Revelation, what he does is he has been banished to a little island just off the coast, east of these churches, in a little island called Patmos. And on this island, he receives this revelation and he wants to make sure these seven churches get it. A lot of people are talking about this revelation happened yet, or is it yet to happen? Has it already happened? I just want to say to you, when you read the book of Revelation, it used to be the book I was most scared of 
it's no longer the book I'm most scared of. I'm actually scared of Romans now. <laughs> okay? It's a tough book. Paul just jumps all over the place. Anyway, but, um, but Revelation, you see, um, in the beginning of the chapter, John is, is told by Jesus who gives him this vision that these things would soon take place or shortly come to hand or with, within reach of his lifetime, within the reach of the lifetimes of these hearers. When it says soon must take place or the time is at hand, it's meaning within the reach of the people who are hearing that. So this stuff in Revelation is going to be happening to these seven churches and, and Christians that follow for a while. Yet there is so much we can learn from these churches because we see some of the ruts that the churches of that time get in, got into, we can get into today. And there are principles that we can learn as we look at these churches. And that's what I'm asking, probably some prayer, some extra prayer to help me with because my life has gotten very complicated in the last month. A lot of stuff's going on. I'm, I'm busier at work. Things going on with Stephanie and things. It's, it's really um, it's overwhelming me right now. And yet I'm tackling probably, I believe, since the, since the series on Leviticus, one of the toughest sermon series I've ever tried to uh, preach. I desperately want to know what God wants His church to be. And I believe looking at sometimes churches that aren't doing what they're supposed to, I can learn a lot. See, I'm the second child. I'm the middle son. I learned so much from my older brother what not to do by watching his mistakes. And so we see in these churches, out of seven of them, only two are commended. The rest are corrected. We can learn from their mistakes, you see, and not just be a good church, but a tremendous Christian as we live in this, in this world. Like I say, two weeks ago was Ephesus, this week it's Smyrna. It's still found in Revelation chapter 2. If you'd like to read along on your cell phone or your iPad or whatever you have, if you've got one of these, these this is interesting. This is a leather-bound Bible. I don't know if you've ever seen these before. I don't have to tell the older folks. Although there are some older ones back there, you've still got stone tablets. They've come a long way. It's in Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to read out of the easy-to-read version because it's easy to read. Okay, let's read it together if you want to up on the screen. Write this to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Here is a message from the one who is the first and the last. The one who died and came to life again. I know your troubles. Wow, there's a right there. Wow. I know your troubles. I think the NIV says affliction. Some say tribulation. Some say some translations say sufferings. I know your troubles and I know that you are poor, but really you're rich. I know the insults you have suffered from people who say they're Jews, but they're not true Jews. They're a group that belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what is about to happen to you. There's another great phrase. Don't be afraid of what will happen to you. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison. He will do this to test you. You will suffer for ten days, but be faithful, even if you have to die. If you continue to be faithful, I will give you the reward of life. I think the other translations will say the crown of life. Everyone who hears this should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Those who win the victory will not be hurt by the second death. And the reason I want us to look at these churches is because Jesus tells every each church, and He tells you and I this morning, please listen to what I'm saying to these churches. They will help you. Now this church in Smyrna is, is, is uh, in a major city in Asia Minor. It's a Roman city. It's a free city. That means there's no Roman garrison there. Um, this city of Smyrna has... Has been, had been, has been destroyed and rebuilt. It was destroyed in 600 B.C. And then when Alexander the Great came along during the Greek Empire, he rebuilt the city in 300. And so throughout the city, whether it's on stones or in their literature, or even amongst themselves, 
they had this idea of what their city was in one sentence. Now, if I were to say to you, the Big Apple, what would you say? What city? Of course. If I were to say to you, the city of angels. Los Angeles, yes. The city of brotherly love. Titletown, USA. Green Bay, Wisconsin. I am so disappointed in this church. If Jesus were writing a letter to this church, I have this against you. No. And then, of course, the gateway city. St. Louis, of course. Well, there, this city was known as the resurrected city. Motown. Okay, thanks, Roy. <laughs> yeah, that's Detroit. But, but, uh, this was the resurrected city. In fact, they'd have on their buildings, they'd have in their books, I don't believe they wore t-shirts that said this, but they had phrases like, this city was dead, but now is alive again. So imagine this church in Smyrna, made up of people that lived in Smyrna, are hearing from someone who claims to have died and resurrected the hope that they would be getting. That would get your attention, wouldn't it? Of course. And so they're very excited to hear words from the one who had died and came to life again. Did you know Smyrna still stands today? Ephesus is gone. Smyrna is still a city. It's called Izmir in Turkey, but it still stands to this day. And it's very difficult to be a Christian in this city. As we read, he says, I know your trouble. I know you're poor. He says, uh, Satan is going to put some of you in prison to test you. It will last ten days. It was very difficult being a Christian in Smyrna because they had a thing called emperor worship there and it was very popular. And every year you would go before the emperor's statue or his temple and you would offer a sacrifice and say, Caesar is Lord. And by doing that, you got a certificate that said you were good, you were okay, and you fit in. And that way you could spend money, make money, buy things, live in, live in homes, You had all of that going for you. The Christian had none of that. Because he wouldn't say, he wouldn't say Caesar is Lord and wouldn't offer a sacrifice, he could not buy anything, he could not sell anything, he could not own anything in this town. And yet there's a church of people like this in this town of Smyrna. Now one of the things I notice also is that this church here of, of the seven, it's one of the two that Jesus doesn't, doesn't scold. He doesn't correct them. This isn't Thyatira. This isn't Pergamum. This isn't Ephesus. This isn't Laodicea. Now this, this church is suffering under great trial and pressure and Jesus is happy with them. He is pleased with them. It's like He wants His church to be faithful. He wants it to be faithful under fire. He wants it, he wants it to thrive in trouble. He wants it to grow when there's trouble. It's important to remember that. I'm going to come back to that. So what I thought about doing was, is I want to look at this, this idea of trouble and how, and the role it plays in the Christian life and in the life of the people in Smyrna. You have He's, the phrase that I, I've got to highlight it the most in my Bible in this chapter. I know your trouble. I know your trouble. He says to them. And based on that, he gives this advice. I understand what you're going through. I've been through what you've been through. You see, I'm the first. I was here before trouble. I was here during trouble. And buddy, I'm the last. I was here after the trouble's gone. I'm still standing. I know what trouble's like because they killed me and I came back to life. And you're going through trouble and I want you to know some things about trouble. What are they? Well, Jesus wants Greater Alton to understand some things about trouble that He wanted Smyrna to understand about trouble. And there are five of these points and I know some of you already are going, oh, five, yes, but four of them are quick. And one of them we're going to camp on, okay? Let's go through these. Number one, Jesus wants me to know when I face trouble that my trouble is a normal part of my life 
so I should expect it. I don't know if I'm talking, I think I'm talking to the choir folks, but you know what? i got to admit to you, though I know trouble's a part of life, that doesn't mean I like it. I don't think God says you have to like trouble. Oh, enjoy it and, you know, like it. Be, look forward to trouble, although I think there might be some scripture that would imply that. I don't think God's saying, you know, just uh, have a good time, go make as much trouble as you can. It's a lot of fun. No, notice he says in Revelation 2.10 here, you will suffer hardship. He promises you and I, he promises the Christian that you will suffer hardship. I thought when I became a Christian, my troubles were over. In fact, I thought I just heard a song that said, you solve all my problems. Right? Hallowed be thy name. Well, he may solve all my problems, but he doesn't eliminate all my problems. It's not a question of if I'm going to have problems. It's a question of when am I going to have trouble. And I can't, I can't be insulated from it. You aren't insulated from it. I am not insulated from it. I mean, Jesus Christ was a man that the Bible says was familiar with suffering, familiar with trouble. He, and he says, I understand your trouble because he was in trouble a lot. Would you agree with that? Now, if he couldn't avoid trouble... And he's the Son of God, and I'm going to follow him. Am I going to be able to avoid trouble? No. I might avoid some kinds of trouble, but I've learned since I've been a Christian, it seems like I've had more trouble. Different trouble. Trouble nonetheless. Look what it says here. Look what Jesus says to John, who wrote the book of Revelation. He says here, I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I'm the first and the last. I'll outlast the trouble and so will you if you will trust me. So that's number one. Trouble's a normal part of life. So I should just expect it. In our effort to try to avoid it, you can't, yes, you're going to be successful. Yes, I'm going to be successful at times. But folks, sooner or later, trouble's coming. Number two, your trouble has several causes. He wants us to understand that. That, that trouble comes from several causes, so I need to consider the source. What do you mean, Tim? Well, I thought of four causes of trouble in my life. The first cause is me. You know, sometimes I think I give Satan a day off. Because I can make enough trouble in my own life that you don't have to work. I think we can take the day off. Tim's really screwing it up today. Okay, man, we'll take it easy. Look what the Bible says here. The Bible tells us here that sinful people have all kinds of trouble. Do you agree with that? Sure. We live in a broken world, and guess what? I, I will sooner or later break something else. Because sinners do that. I think of... Um, the movie Goonies. Remember Chunk? They're up in the attic. They find the doubloon and the map, but it's encased in a glass and a frame. And the kid goes, how am I going to get this out? And he gives it to Chunk. And then he goes, here Chunk. He goes, thanks. Well, what is this? Three, two, four. Oh man, I broke it. I'm Chunk. In a lot of ways, we're all like chunk. Just give us some time. Doesn't take long. And we'll mess it up because we're a cause of our own trouble sometimes. We make dumb choices. Why did I buy that? I didn't read the fine print. Why did I agree to that? Oops. Number, cause number two is God. God causes trouble? I was surprised how many places, uh, as I was researching this idea, how many sermons there are that say God does not cause trouble. You want to bet? God can cause all kinds of trouble. Look at, he, look at the Word God says here. I made the light and the darkness. Well, well, yeah. Well, I bring peace and I cause troubles. Huh? Yeah. I'll cause trouble. I, the Lord, do all these things. You can't tell me in Egypt those ten plagues didn't bring a little trouble. Remember Balaam? 
He's on his donkey. This is before Shrek came out. He's on his donkey and he's beating this thing and it won't move. Why won't this donkey move? It's rubbing up against, rubbing up against the, the, the cliff and he's like, man, you, you ever ride a horse and it does that to you? Ride right up against a building and rub your leg, kind of roll it like a tootsie roll. And you're sitting there going, man, well that's what, Bay, what do you, what's wrong with you? And then it sits down, you know, like Yosemite Sam. Come on, giddy up, let's go, let's go. Beating that, Poor old dog. <laughs> Finally, the doggy goes, I'm not moving because there's an angel, you dumb dumb. Look at him. He's got, a, he's got a sword in his hand. Don't you see him? You see the angel's making trouble for the donkey. Making trouble for Balaam. And sometimes God makes trouble to get our attention. Makes trouble to get us to consider and change. If our trouble doesn't get the job done, He'll help out. Sometimes God will do that. And then I think about others. There's a third cause. I get trouble from other people. In this case, in Smyrna, we see this. These Jews, according to verse 9, they are making trouble for them by spreading slanderous things about them. You got anybody like that? They just give you trouble at work, trouble at school, trouble in your neighborhood. I mean, you're trying to be a Christian and they're giving you trouble because you are a Christian. You turn them off. Because you're living the right way, you're rubbing them the wrong way. And they don't like you. I remember living over by the Amtrak station and we had a neighbor. And we would have a, a, a evangelistic Bible study, cross-chat, Bible talk, whatever you want to call it. We had it at our house. And we have a bunch of people would come over and they'd park in front of the house. And my neighbor... It was on a dead end, and my neighbor would block the cars with his own vehicle. One time he called the cops. Here come the cops. Now you know it's a party because the cops are called, you know. Boom, 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 boom. What are you doing? Oh, we're just having a Bible study. What? I was told you'd have a crazy party. You got me confused with the neighbor who lives behind me. He's the drug dealer, local drug dealer. And he doesn't, he doesn't have his parties till Saturday. Should I have said that? Had the, I remember having the one of the uh, fellows representing the Alton Housing Authority came to visit me and uh, come to our home. I go, he has a credentials. I'm going, what's this? He goes, I'm from the Alton Housing Authority. We had some complaints. Madison County, I'm sorry. We've had some complaints about you in the neighborhood. Me? Somebody complained about me? I wonder who it is. Yeah, we understand you've got you know, 30 cars here. I go, no, we don't have 30 cars here. Love to have 30 cars here, but we don't have 30 cars here. What happened was, one particular night, the drug dealer behind me had a big bash, crazy drink party, and I had to have our Bible say the same night. So there was cars all over the place. And after we talked for a while, he goes, so what do you do here? And I go, we have a Bible study. Bible study? What church? That's called Greater Alton Church. Oh, I go to church in Granite City. You've got nothing to worry about. Don't worry about it. Thanks. That was the end of that, I thought. And so the cops have been called several times to my home and things of that nature because my neighbor has a problem. Maybe you got some trouble from somebody. Maybe it's not your neighbor. Maybe it's someone in your family. I don't like it since you started going to church. I don't like it since you started, you know, you're at church too much. You're, you're, you're giving too much time there. And if you don't stop, I'm going to leave you. Maybe it's parents or kids. You know, I don't like what that church is doing to you, and if you're going to keep going there, you've got to move out. So we get family issues. And by the way, didn't Jesus say, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword that would affect the families of people who followed Him? Sure. And so we get trouble from family members. We get trouble from co-workers. You know, why are you working so hard? Are you trying to get a promotion? Man, you're, you're a company man. No, I'm just trying to be a Christian. I'm not fudging on the time clock. I'm just trying to be an honest person. And so because we're living a godly life, like Paul told Timothy in Ephesus, which happened to be in Asia Minor, where it's difficult to be a Christian, he said these words, anyone who belongs to Christ Jesus and wants to live right will have trouble from others. So you're going to rub people the wrong way when you're trying to live the right way. Just the way it is. But there's another cause, and that's Satan. 
I don't want to sound like the church lady. Saint I'm not saying that, okay? I'm not joking about this. It's the truth. Satan sometimes wants to take you out. Have you ever thought about that? Why would he want to pick on me? Because, listen, folks, if he can take you out, he might take out your family. If he can take you out, he might take out that workplace where that person that's working there who's looking for Christ won't ever be able to find him because he's taken you out of the way. To take you out might mean taking out a ministry here or taking out the church here. You understand? Satan sometimes will attack you personally. You say, I don't feel like he's attacking me. Well, you've got another problem. Maybe he isn't worried about you. Sometimes he gets you in his crosshairs. You read the, the very first reference, the very first time the word sin is used in the Bible. You're going to find it in Genesis where God is telling Cain, Sin is crouching at the door and it wants to get you, overpower you. It wants to destroy you. And we see examples where Satan has attacked key people in the Bible. Job, very faithful man, didn't do anything really wrong to deserve what he was going through. And yet Satan unleashes on him, gets him in his crosshairs and attacks him. And with God's help, he He's able to overcome. Jesus Christ Himself was attacked by Satan. And Peter was told, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. And wouldn't he say something like this? He'd say, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for, for someone to devour. And sometimes Satan's attacks come directly from him. Look again what is said to a church in Asia Minor, Ephesus. It says, in every battle you will need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. Sometimes Satan has got you. He's like a sniper and he wants you bad. And so he will attack you. Now let me ask you a question here before we leave this point. Where's the source of your trouble? Consider the source of your trouble. Where's it coming from? Is it coming from you? If you could admit, it's coming from me, Tim. I'm really, I've been giving Satan a whole week off. I mean, I really, I'm doing it myself. If that's the case, you know what your response needs to be? Repent. Just change that. If it's God, if God's at the source of the trouble, you're, if you say, you know, I feel like God's trying to get my attention, God's trying to do something here, what's the answer? Respond. Respond to Him. Look to Him and respond to Him. If others are, are attacking you and you feel like the, the trouble is coming from other people, resist. Resist the temptation to quit. And if Satan is attacking you, church, if somebody, if Satan is attacking you personally this morning, you need to rely on the Lord because He is the first and the last. So where's the trouble coming from? Because it's going to come from several places. But there's a third thing, and that is your trouble is temporary. He wants you to know this. Whatever trouble you're going through, it's temporary, so be patient. Be patient. Look what he says here in Revelation 2.10. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Is he talking about ten literal days? Is he talking about years? You know, Revelation is kind of, you know, Tim, it's really hard. It's very symbolic language. What's he talking about here? All I can tell you is after reading everybody I could find that weighed in, and they, and they got all kinds of interpretations, I just noticed he's saying ten days. And that is a common phrase in the Roman culture that simply meant for a little while. In other words, you're going to go to prison, probably going to die, but it isn't going to last long. And this is something I don't know if we ever think about, that trouble has its seasons and it's temporary. People are asking me, how's Steph doing? How's Steph doing? You know, some of you here... Asking me, and I know you're probably going to ask me after church, how about I just tell you, she's in transition, and it won't be very long. That's all. Let's see, she's 49. That's not very long, is it? 49 years old, not very long, is it? She's had cancer for 17 of those years. That's not very long. When you put compare it, to the scope of eternity, 17 years is temporary. You, you follow me? 
life. Those of us who live the longest. Some of you here, I don't know if you're ever going to die. Not that I'm wanting to try to get rid of you. But you might live a long time, okay? But compared to eternity, guess what? It is temporary. And I'm going to tell you, when Steph is in heaven, the 17 years of cancer are going to be like that compared to the scope of her life. And I don't know, I just don't see trouble as so temporary, but it is. It is. It's a short time. I know your trouble, Jesus says. I'm the first and the last. It's in between me that trouble's going to happen, and I'm eternal. So guess what? It's shorter than me, it's temporary. Praise God. Praise God that our troubles are temporary. Let me ask you, do you still have the same trouble you had when you were a teenager? Surely you don't have. Some of you here, are you still popping pimples in the mirror? I'm not. (laughs) I'm popping joints when I got out of bed, but I'm not popping pimples. Now, some of the troubles you had when you were younger, they've passed. They've had their season. And now you've got a whole different group. And there's more coming. And I'm telling you, they're temporary. Jesus says they're temporary. Look what the Bible says here. If you don't believe me, at least believe the Scripture. For our present troubles, 2 Corinthians 4, are small and won't last very long. Now, I don't want to talk about small. Tim, that just sounds like what I'm going through is not a big deal. Well, you're going to have to deal with this. The Bible says it's small. But I, I don't want to talk about that right now. I want to talk about it won't last very long. It's temporary. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. The difference, eternal things, make the temporary things cheap, short, so we don't look at the troubles because we don't focus on that. Do you focus wazzy wazzy woo woo? Get your can of worms, open it up, go sit in the middle of the street and pray somebody runs over you in the street and you eat your worms. Oh, woe is me. He's saying, man, we don't focus on the troubles that we see now. We see them, but we don't focus on them. He says, no, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we now See, now will soon be gone. They're temporary. But the things we cannot see, they last forever. Praise God. Praise God. My trouble is, is just a, it's, it's a part of life. It's a normal part. It can, come from, it can come from my own hand or others or from God or Satan himself. And whatever they are, they are temporary. They're here and they're gone. But I want to tell you, there's a, there's a fourth thing here I notice in this passage. And this is the most significant. This is where we're going to rest here while and look at And that is that my trouble has a purpose, so I need to embrace it. The trouble you and I, that's what he's telling this church, this little church in Smyrna. It is so difficult being a Christian in Smyrna. He says, I know your troubles. I know that you are poor, but you're really rich. Whoa, 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 what? I know, I know you've got lots of trouble going on there. And I know you're in poverty, but you're actually rich. What's really going on is good. Yes, it hurts, but it's, you're rich, you're blessed, it's good. In Revelation 2.10, he says, Don't be afraid of what will happen to you. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison. He will do this to test you. Trouble has a purpose. Trouble has a purpose. And trouble is going to will test what you're made of. That's what this word test means. It tests what you're really made of. You find out. This is something I I I was just completely blown away as I studied out Smyrna. Um, 
The word Smyrna is the word that we get myrrh from. In fact, the Greek word for myrrh is Smyrna. That's the word. Uh, of course, you're th- I'm sure some of you are thinking about, well, Christmas. We just had Christmas and we had the wise men brought gold, frankincense, and Smyrna. That's what they brought, Smyrna. Why is this called Smyrna and not something else? Because only in Smyrna do you find myrrh. It's the only place. It's like they had a monopoly on this product. And what will you do with this, this particular, this myrrh? How you would get it is the, the, these, these thorn trees, these small thorn trees or bushes, they would come up and they would cut a slit and extract the sap out of these trees. Well, the sap would immediately begin to coagulate and harden into a hard resin. Now we know, we know that this, this, by the way, myrrh is, we think of Christ it came from Smyrna. It came from Smyrna. If you've been reading the Daily Bible, then you know about Joseph and Jacob were embalmed in Egypt with myrrh, right? That came from Smyrna. The Egyptians would come all the way to, to Smyrna to get this myrrh. There's the only place to get it. Uh, Esther, Queen Esther, when she's getting ready, going all through her beauty treatments, one of, the, one of the products that was used was myrrh. It came from Smyrna. Let's see, when Jesus is dying on the cross and they put some myrrh and mix it up and put it on a sponge and put it to his lips because it had this, uh, it, was, it did something with pain and, and he refused to drink it. It was myrrh. It came from Smyrna. And when, they, when he died and they began to prepare his body for burial, they spread Smyrna on his body. And oh, the fragrance of Smyrna. It just, it was wonderful. It was a wonderful fragrance. But to get to this fragrance, you had to do something. To get this fragrance, to release it, the resin had to be crushed. Now, are you following me? Before you could get this fragrance to release it, you had to smash it and crush it. And then it would fill the air with this fragrance. And see, the church of Smyrna is going through trouble. And I don't know if it's coincidental. It's just interesting to me that the word tribulation or trouble or suffering or affliction that's in Revelation there, there's a word picture attached to it that, that if you lived in Smyrna, you understood what it meant. And it, the word picture is you take a person, a victim, and you stretch him on a table and you stack concrete blocks on his chest until it crushes him. And the church at Smyrna is being crushed by three big weights in this passage. The first one says, I know your trouble. I know you're being crushed. I know your poverty. They're poor. What's that mean? They have nothing. Well, they have something. They have the clothes on their back and that's all. Because they will not bow to the emperor, because they will not worship the emperor, these people cannot buy food. They cannot make a living. They can't hold a job. Nobody will hire them. If they were to set up a fruit stand or any kind of a stand out in the marketplace, nobody would buy from them. That's poor. There's no money. And yet, there's a, listen, there's a church in this place called Smyrna. How can, it ex, how can it exist? Only by the grace of God. Only by the power of God. This penniless group of people are living amongst this horrific, tough place. So they're poor. We read also that uh, I know your insults. The Jews, who are not really true Jews, are insulting you. They're really, they belong to Satan. What are they talking about there? They're, they're spreading rumors about the church. And if we know anything about that here at Greater Alton, don't we have a good taste of that? Oh boy. 
over the years, the things that we've been called, the rumors that have been spread. There are three rumors being spread at this time. The first rumor is, this church, they have this thing called a love feast. And it's just a big orgy. That's what I hear. They all get naked and get in a pile. They all get drunk. They party. They get together for crazy stuff. I heard they did a wing fling and it got out of hand. Another rumor that was spread was was that they were cannibals. Did you hear about that church? What do they do? They eat and drink the body and blood of Jesus. Are you kidding me? No. That's why they can't find the body. They ate it. It stuck. Even even the Roman culture, as immoral as they were, they went, what? I mean, I can understand the orgy. It got me kind of interested in going. But that? No, I don't think so. I'm not going to do that. Eat somebody's body. That's a crazy group. I've got somebody working for me that goes to that church. Not anymore. He's being fired as soon as I see him. And then there's this other this other rumor that goes like this. They call themselves brother and sister and they don't care about their own families. And see, Rome was big on family. And I'll tell you what, guys. I've, I, I can identify with this one. Lots of rumors spread about Greater Alton and how we treat family. Jesus did say He'd come to bring us not peace but a sword. would divide family. I know when I became a Christian, it sure divided my family up. Blew it apart. It wasn't popular. Why are you always going to that church? Well, if I was honest, Mom, it's because they treat me a lot better than I get here. And so this, so the rumor was that they, they, they didn't care about their families, their immediate families, which was not true. Being a Christian makes you better at taking care of your family. And so these three rumors just just destroyed the reputation of the church at Smyrna where society had nothing to do with them. You say, why would they do that? Well, <laughs> let me tell you why. Let me tell you why the Jews were active in doing this. The Jews, they, they got an exemption from the Roman government. Yes, they could say Caesar is Lord, but they got to worship their God and call Him Jehovah God. They were exempt from this rule of Caesar worship. And the Christians, see, said, well, we worship the same God as the Jew. And He's not our Lord. And that started making the Jews nervous because if they start putting the dots together, it's going to lead back to us. So we got to find a way to separate and kind of put distance between. They're crazy. They're a cult. They're, they eat each other's bodies and uh, they're naked and drunk. And they don't care about mom and dad and kids. And it worked. It worked. So that's crushing on the church. And then it says here that Satan is going to attack. He's coming again. He's, he's, Satan is going to put some of you in prison for ten days. You know, what's that really mean? Well, I'll tell you, if you were put in prison in Rome, you're probably going to be executed, most likely. The chances are high. And he's basically saying, it won't be very long, it'll be over. They're not going to drag it out. There's more trouble coming. You know, Polycarp is somebody who was a, an elder in the church in Smyrna. In 155 A.D., he had been serving, he says, the Lord for 86 years. So it's possible he was a Christian during this time. It's possible that he was around. He'd seen this letter. You know, you read about Polycarp, there's all kinds of Historical documentation, and then there's the the legend that goes with it. You know, uh, the games. Uh, one of the things in Smyrna, they they would have the, their own Olympic games in Asia Minor, and Smyrna was host at times. And the, during this time, they were hosting the games when uh, someone shouted, "Let's kill the atheists!" and they meant Polycarp. And so they begin to torture this servant girl until she finally told them where Polycarp was, and they find Polycarp. He comes walking out 
And he says, would you give me an hour? I'd like to pray. And so he goes and prays. And this guy that's in charge of this, this centurion kind of guy, you know, he's like going, what is, what is this guy really done? He seems like a nice guy. And he tries to persuade Polycarp, look, just, just say Caesar is Lord, get your certificate, and it's over. And he goes, how can I do that when Jesus is my Lord? I can't do that. I have been serving him for 86 years. What a wonderful statement to say. 86 years I've served him. Why would I change now? And so they get ready to put him on this stake and burn him because you don't have to tie him up because you don't have to tie me up. I'll stand right here. Really? Yeah. And they start lighting a fire. And legend says the fire began to roar and a wind began to blow the fire away from Polycarp. He's like, and so the Roman soldiers come in and stab him and kill him. And it's believed his blood put out the fire. Crushed. What do you do? What happens when you're crushed? Let me tell you what happens when myrrh is crushed. Fragrance. It's inside comes out. And when you are crushed, the aroma of Christ is released. Your problem, your trouble, really has a purpose. And if you're being crushed right now, don't you understand the world stinks? Did you know Smyrna, they had no sewage system? When they rebuilt the town, they forgot to put the sewage system in. So human waste is running down the streets all the time. Anybody know of a town that has a certain odor to it around here? Huh? Hartford, Roxana, Wood River. You know, you have it. Oh, who, where's the rotten egg smell coming from? What's, what's that smell, you know? If you live next to a poultry farm, a hog farm, a town, you know, certain towns. Uh, uh, why can't we live next to Wonder Bread, where they make Wonder Bread? Ah, wake up every morning, you know, I guess. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, and, 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 and they said, that it's been said that the wind would sweep, would change directions, because it's all going down to the beach, and sometimes the wind would change direction and blow all this stench into the city. How do you, what do you do? You know, it's, oh my gosh, it stinks out here. And you know, the world stinks, doesn't it? Some of you have said that where you work. This place stinks. What do you mean? You don't mean literally. You're saying, I don't, it's a tough place to work. It's, it's hard to work here. This school stinks. This neighborhood stinks. This town stinks. And God's saying, I want the fragrance, the character of my son. I want the aroma of Christ released in this workplace, in this town. And how else is it going to be done? I'm going to have to crush you. Will you let me crush you? Will you let me crush you? So that will take place. You know, there's some things i got to say. Trouble has made my faith stronger. How about you? It wasn't because it was so wonderful. I told the first service, I go, you know, if you're going to do a garden this year and you want it to really grow some nice stuff, you don't plant M&Ms and marshmallows and mix it in the soil. It's crap. Get some good crap. And can I tell you, when you're crushed, when we're crushed, when crap happens, that's when the better comes out from the bitter. Only when we let God crush us. See, I'm a, I'm a wimp. I'm a wuss with this. I don't want to be crushed. I don't want to be touched by God. Can't we do this another way? Can't, can't we make the world sweeter another way? No, Tim. It's going to take me crushing you. It's going to take me breaking and crushing out of you your pride so my humility can come out. Hmm? Crushing that independence. Crushing that pride. Crushing that apathy out so my mercy can come out. 
It can't be done, Tim. Your heart is flint. You're that resin that comes out of that myrrh tree. I've got to crush that selfishness out of you. So the character of Christ can come out. It says in 1 Peter 4 here in the message, Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Why is it that we always wonder if God is working when we're in trouble? When we have trouble? Why is it we tend to think God isn't doing His job because I got trouble? I became a Christian so I wouldn't have trouble. That's not the right reason to become a Christian. I become a Christian to become like Christ. And God will use trouble. Instead, he says, be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. If you're abused because of Christ, count yourself fortunate. It's the Spirit of God and His glory in you that brought you to the notice of others. If they're on you because you broke the law or disturbed the peace, that's a different matter. But if it's because you're a Christian, don't give it a second thought. Don't worry about it. Be proud of the distinguished status reflected in that name. My trouble has a purpose. Your trouble has a purpose, church. And I want you to tell you this morning, God is working everything out. Working everything that's happening to you now and will happen to you in the future to bring out His aroma. We need to smell the myrrh of God. The world needs to smell and, and, sit and, and have in their nostrils the sweet fragrance of Jesus, not the stench of religion. And the fifth thing that I notice here is that God rewards faithfulness. He rewards faithfulness, so look forward to it. It takes, Guys, listen, it's going to take faithfulness to let God use the trouble I have to bring out the best. It's going to take faithfulness. It's going to take serious discipline and faithfulness to God to fight that tendency to give up if I'm, going to, if I'm going to be, if you and I are going to be the kind of Christian, the kind of church God wants. It says here, be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who's victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. The skyline of Smyrna looked like a giant crown. So imagine you're a Christian and you're in this town and you're told, you're going to receive a crown. See, Christians were not allowed to participate in the games. They had no chance of getting a victor's crown. They weren't even allowed to be in the presence of royal, royalty, the emperor or nothing, anything like that. They were shamed. They were despised. So crowns were the last thing they were close to, even had a chance at. And Jesus says, I have a crown for you. I have a crown that's better than any Stephanos, any, any crown that you can think of. The crown, the crown I have for you is the crown of life. It's the kind of life that goes beyond the first death. You don't experience the second death. That's the one. That's the one. You see, I want you to know today, you are promised a crown from Jesus Christ. His church, His members today in 2017 are promised the crown of life to every believer. Let me read this passage to you as we close. The question I want, to, I want you to think about is, are you a Christian? Are you a serious Christian? I know that sounds even... If you're a Christian, you're supposed to be serious. But folks, I'll tell you why we've watered down the word Christian so much. You've got to ask yourself, I really trust the Lord? Do I really believe He's the Son of God? Will I trust Him through my trouble? Will I, will I not be afraid of what's coming? 
Only those who have true faith in the Lord can do this. Look what it says here. Everyone who is a child of God has the power to win against the world. This is again John saying this. It is our faith that wins the victory against the world. So the one who conquers the world is who? Who is that person? The person who believes that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. If you're a Christian, you have something to look forward to. If you're not a Christian, you don't have jack squat. You got nothing. You got nothing. But if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you have a crown. You have the power to win over the world, a victory over the world. I get from this passage as I close, I get this this idea from from Jesus as I read. This is what I think He's saying to me, and I hope as as you have an ear, listen to what He says to the church at Smyrna. And I kind of get this idea. He's saying to me, Tim, don't be afraid. Peter Alton, don't be afraid. Debbie, don't be afraid. Stephanie, don't be afraid. Jim, don't be afraid. Nathan, don't be afraid. Alan, don't be afraid. Church, don't be afraid. Don't worry. Don't let the first death, don't let the fear of dying this first death rob you of your crown. Allison, believe in me. Trust me. Alex, stay faithful to me. For you, like me, will conquer over whatever the world throws at you. There's no second death for you, Morgan. Praise God. Brian, no second death. Amen? Lois, no second death. I know the Packers are playing, Don, today, and I'm excited, but no second death. i got to admit, that kind of edges it out. No second death. No second death for you. For after the smoke has settled, you will still be standing, and you'll be standing with me. So please hear what I'm saying to the church at Smyrna. Listen closely. and Let it encourage you when your faith is under fire. There is a card in your bulletin and it gives you a chance to comment on this lesson or maybe there's a prayer request you have for this lesson. I pray that you'll think carefully. Maybe you need to ask somebody to pray for you. You don't have to use the card, but the card comes in handy. It goes to a team of people that do nothing but pray for you. Take advantage of that. Maybe there's a decision you need to make. You know, I've been been making enough trouble on my own. I need to change. I need to repent. Or Satan, I feel like, has been attacking me. And I need the prayers of the church. Because prayers do wonders. We're going to give you a chance to fill out that card as we sing a song. And then after we sing that song, we're going to take up our regular contribution. And I want to remind those of us here that weren't here last week, you know, if we could make sure that we make up, if we we were going to give last week and we're going to give this week. Let's make sure we give both weeks uh, to make up for that loss and not being able to be together um, last week. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank You. Father, thank You and praise You. Father, for, for Your Son Jesus. Father, for the, for the message that we received today from this church in Smyrna. None of us like trouble. Father, it's, it, it, when we say it's a normal part of life, we go, sure, in our head, but in our heart, we'd like, we wish it was normal to avoid it and be able to stay away from it. But Father, as it comes, let us not grow weary. Let us trust You, find the peace that's in a relationship with Your Son, Jesus. And Father, help us figure out what's, what's causing the trouble in our lives right now and respond accordingly. For some of us here, Father, we've been in trouble. We've, we've, we're experiencing trouble. We're experiencing a tough time, a tough season. Help us be patient. Give us more patience. And Father, we pray 
that when trouble crushes us, that it doesn't bring out gall or, or bitterness or more sin, but it will, it'll bring out your aroma of your Son, Jesus. Help us embrace the purpose of trouble and look forward to the rewards of being faithful in times of trouble. Well, I pray for everyone sick here that we get well. I know there's a, a, a bug going around just running through us. And pray, Father, those of us that are that are spiritually sick, Father, you make us well too. And we pray, Father, that most of all you'll be you'll be honored today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.